everybody, welcome to the Schick Show. I am Scott Schick, your host. Thank you for listening in. Today in the studio, I have a former student of mine who I've been following on social media. Uh, does that sound creepy? It does not sound creepy okay. at all. Because I, I almost said, ooh, that got a little, got a little high there. I almost said fanboying. And I, I don't know if that's, that's creepy. No, it's not creepy. No, that's not either. No, oh, no. Okay. I, I do it myself too with other people on social media. Okay, I'm just not checking. Just you. I, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be that creepy old guy, right? That's not who I am. But uh, so, so like I said, today he is here with us. He was quite the athlete in high school at Blackford High School, and he continued to feed that competitive urge since he graduated. Most recently, you competed in the Boston Marathon. That's correct. Man, Dalton Willman is here with us, folks. Dalton, catch us up. You've been a busy man. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, taking classes at Ball State. I'm going to be a senior, keeping up with marathon training, other races, stuff like that, working a couple of different part-time jobs. There's, there's really not much downtime in my schedule. I like it. So just a, just a curiosity like a year or so ago, maybe two years ago, you're doing some strength competitions. Yes. Yeah. 2021, it was pretty much, I was doing bodybuilding, strongman, and powerlifting. Tell us about that a little bit. So I really enjoyed it. That was like my first love because I remember being in eighth grade, which is when I had you as a teacher. And that was my first introduction to the weight room. So I really fell in love with lifting weights all of high school lifting weights, seeing how much, you know, the body could change, how much it could, you know, put out at one time. And so then I started doing some competitions, different realms, you know, the squat bench, deadlift, went to strongman, you know, it's just more about picking up objects, moving them around. And, you know, I, I enjoyed it for a, for a really long time. And then it just kind of got to be to the point where I wasn't necessarily in love with it anymore. I see you still in the gym. I, yeah. Everyone, I, I also follow Jake Ross. Shout out, Jake. You better be listening. Hey, um, you training him? Um, somewhat. He He's starting to get into the running realm, so I've been coaching him with that. Okay. Well, speaking of the running, it's interesting you bring that up because uh, tell us about that decision to start running because you weren't a runner. No, no, not at all. So that's kind of where it's a cool story. I didn't think I'd fall in love with it. I was – it was – December of 2021, I was working at the jail here in Blackford, and, you know, I just kind of felt stagnant with life. I wasn't going to school anymore, and I wanted to make a big change, but I knew that, like, to make a big change, I needed to change everything I did. So I re-enrolled at Ball State, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to go all in on this thing, and I'm going to do the 75 hard challenge, which is where the running came from, because it's part of the challenge you've got to do two workouts a day. So I wasn't going to do two strength training workouts. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to get into running. I'm going to lift and I'm going to run every day. And, you know, something in me said, you know what, while I'm at it, I'm also going to do one full marathon and one mini marathon that year. So just decided I'm going to do a marathon. Yeah, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to change literally everything up in my life that I can. And within a month and a half, it was like it became a new routine and lifestyle, and I fell in love with it. So, <laughs> I'm not a runner. Yeah. Right? I tried running. Um, 
in 2020. So New Year's 2020. Yeah. I decided, you know what? I work with some runners. My principal at the time, his name was Dan Grill. He was a runner. He okay. ran up at Manchester and um, uh, another principal I worked with up there or down there. He was a runner and they had this thing called the, the Madison Mile. Okay. And it was all administrators. They would, they had a mile run they were going to do at the end of the year and whoever won it, you know, just some kind of, you know, just some guy prize, you know what yeah. I mean? Just some pride. And I thought, okay, all I have to do is not be last. Right. And there was another guy down there and uh, Ronnie, I'm sorry, man, but if you're <laughs> listening, my goal was to outrun you. Uh, so just know that. And I would have, so I started running. Yeah. And I went, you know, got got the whole Planet Fitness thing going, and um, I go in, and I thought, all right, I just want to get a baseline. Let's see what a 5K for me is with nothing. Yeah. And it was like 48 minutes, and that is me dying, Dalton, dying yeah. at 48 minutes. <laughs> I'm watching you do that. I'm watching you run like six-minute miles for 20, 26 of 26.1, is that what it is? Uh, 26.2, okay. yeah. And uh, so I'm sitting there thinking, Jesus, Lord, brother, like he's running circles around me, no doubt. But so I start running and I thought, OK, if if I run like if I can just get to where I can run a half mile, mm -hmm. then it's three quarters of a mile. Right. Yeah. So within a week. Seven days, mm -hmm. I go in never being a runner before and I start running. And I get done running, and I cool down on the bike because I've been a biker, so that's a cool down. Like right. I, I biked a lot in my life, so I start. <laughs> this is so awful. So I start running, mm -hmm. and within seven days, I'm at a 36-minute 5K. That's awesome. And my knee hurts so bad that when I get on the bike that day, I'm almost in tears, and and I tell my wife, "Hey, I gotta go." I went maybe a half mile on the bike and mm -hmm. cooled down. She's doing her workout. She's like, you all right? I said, I don't think so. I'm, I think I'm hurt. Yeah. So um, a couple days go by. This is on, you know, a Sunday or something. A couple days school go by, and I'm hurting. My knee hurts so bad that finally everything else is starting to tighten up, too. And I'm like, oh, it's because my knee. Yeah. You know, because my knee is tightening up, everything else is starting to get out of whack, right? So... By day 11, I haven't done anything mm -hmm. in a stretch. That's about it. Day 11, I'm having trouble walking 50 yards into school. Oh, man. And my wife, Jennifer, she's like, you're going to the doctor. You got to see what's going on. There's something wrong. Yeah, because that, that, that's really serious at that point when yeah. you can't make it into school. <laughs> I'm, it was bad. <laughs> so I go, I, go to, um, I go to a specialist. They look at me, and they're like, well, you definitely got bursitis in both knees, and I think you have IT band syndrome as well in both legs. Familiar with IT yes, band? Yes, very familiar with that. I'm I'm telling you what, over the next seven days, it got worse, oh. and to the point to where I was really struggling just to get to my office every morning. I bet. I get to my office, and um, our, our PE teacher, Chris Sandlin, he had, um, he was a runner as well. Guy's still a runner. Mm. Dude runs like He's man, he's incredible. Like, yeah, you guys just blow me away. I, I watch runners and I'm like, ah, I wish, but then I realize all I have to do is knock somebody down if a bear's chasing me. That's you right. Know? Yeah, just don't be last. I, I'm, right, I'm not gonna be last. So, um, end up with IT band in both legs, and um, about six months later, I'm finally able to function like a human being again. 
uh, and I was on the floor, like literally on the floor of my office laying on my back, computer on my chest, meeting with kids, people coming in going, why don't you just go home? I said, what am I going to do at home? I'm going to be miserable at home too. Yeah. You know, I had a roller there, so I'm rolling on the foam roller. Chris had given me like all kinds of stuff, like some kind of weird voodoo stick thing with beads on it. To, yeah. Oh my God, it hurts so bad. And that's all I do. Like mm-hmm. every moment, every spare moment I had, I was stretching and trying to get that thing loosened up so I could mm-hmm. walk. Finally, you know, the, the steroids and the, and the, uh, they gave me muscle relaxers. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to take them like four times a day. Yeah. No way, brother. Like knock me out. These things were Mike Tyson knockout pills mm-hmm. and it's a 14 hour thing. I don't know how people function. Yeah, that that's why I hear a lot of people like are hesitant to get on those things because they're like, we're not going to get anything else done. If uh, nothing. I, I'm telling you, I wake up in a in a fog. Like <laughs> you guys can't see me. I'm looking around my room right now, but I wake up in a fog, going, "What the heck just happened?" And yeah. it's like 13 hours later, so I've missed half a day. And and I, I'm the type of person that I'm productive. Yeah. Like, I, before you came here, I'm trying to fix something. Like, it's mm-hmm. nonstop. So anyway, IT band syndrome. Um, I, tr- I started running again in June or mm-hmm. July, one of the, June or July. And within, like, two runs. And I'm talking, like, when I say a run, maybe 400 yards at a time and then walk and just trying to get a mile in. Yeah. You know? Started tightening up again. I said, you know what? I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. I've got a treadmill up here. I started running in, in January again. And the goal was just to where I could get to run a mile. Uh, and uh, by February, I'd, I'd gotten down to like a 10, 20 mile, which mm-hmm. for 49-year-old overweight dumb guy that, you know, has injured his body at every turn, um, I was pretty proud of that. And then Jocelyn comes home, her like mile and a half is 12 minutes or something. Yeah. <laughs> You're ridiculous. I hate you. <laughs> so I have admiration for you guys. That's what I'm saying. So just out of the blue, you're like, hey, you know, this whole running thing, now I'm going to be a marathoner. Yeah. So it was, it's like I told you, I, I had that goal in January. I didn't give myself an option. I signed up for a mini marathon in March, January 1st, right? New Year's resolution syndrome. Oh my God. So I'm like, I'm doing this mini marathon in March. I fall in love with the process so much. And within my my sixth week of running training, I ran a mini just out on my own. You know, I felt like it, it was uh, out on the trail here in Hartford. So, you know, 13 miles, whatever it was, it was like three and a half trips down and back the trail. Uh, one mile on the trail was literally just frozen ice and snow, you know, six inches deep. And so I felt like Rocky Four. I'm just out there running through. And I was only supposed to do eight miles that day, but I went ahead and did the 13 because I had all of these adrenaline rush going. Yep. And so then it was that day. I switched it from a mini to the full one March. I went out, ran that first marathon. Wait, you switched the mini to the full in March. So like the same one you were minying. Yeah, so the one that I had signed up for on January 1 that was supposed to be a mini, I upgraded it. Like, I can, I know I can do a mini. I need to test myself, see if I can do that marathon now in March. So I ran the marathon before I ran the mini, and the goal of what was to just run one mini and one full turned into four full marathons and five mini marathons last year. Oh, my gosh. And then we've got three full done this year so far, and I've got one coming up on June 17th. Wow. I can't even wrap my head around that. 
Well, I kind of can because I think I, I I know where some of your motivation is coming from. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh, and I think we listen to some similar people. Oh, absolutely. And we're gonna get there. <laughs> uh, so, I, but first, I want to know when did Boston come into play? So I ran. Boston was never even a thought last year until I ran that first marathon. And I knew Boston was a sub-three-hour marathon before that because some of the YouTubers I watched had done it. You know, I'm thinking, I'm going out for this first marathon. I'm just trying to run sub-four. I don't care about time. And I ended up running a 320, and I finished, you know, fourth in this marathon. And that's when everything became real to me. And, like, I finished, and I was just happy to finish. And it was on an old military base in the middle of nowhere. I was worried more about getting lost on the course than I was finishing. (laughs) And, you know, I finished, and my mom was like, do you know what you just did? And I was like, I finished the marathon. And she's like, you were only 20 minutes off of Boston in your first marathon. And, you know, we had like a two-hour drive back home. And I, it, all of a sudden, the thought just crept into my head. Okay, Boston's going to happen one way or another. This is what, like, the whole two-hour ride home, I had planned out a training plan about how I was going to get there. I was going to do a mini-marathon you know, in like two weeks and run like a sub 130 to learn like what it was going to take for half of it. And I actually failed that. I didn't run a sub 130 because, you know, I ran a mini marathon two weeks after a full. Right. So then what did I do? I signed up for another mini two weeks later and I ended up running a sub 130. <laughs> so then I had, uh, you know, at, at that point I was like, you know what? I'm feeling good. I'm going to go for it. I signed up for a marathon four weeks after that mini. And then that was when I ultimately qualified for Boston. So what was the marathon you ran that qualified you? It was the Charlevoix, Michigan Marathon. Okay. And that's yeah. the one I'm doing again in a couple of weeks. That's a jaunt. I mean, that's you got to get up there. Oh, six hours ride. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Charlevoix is really cool. Oh, it's beautiful. Right there on the uh, – there's some water there. Um, yeah, it's right on Lake Michigan. Yeah. It's just – it's beautiful. Uh, you know, last year we left here, and it was like 76 degrees when we left Hartford City. We drive six hours up there. We got there at 5 p.m. And it was like 62. It dropped like 14 degrees. And they start the race at 6 a.m. there. It's like 45 degrees oh. when you start. Perfect running conditions along the lake. You know, couldn't be more beautiful. Like, you're literally just running along the lake for three hours. Kind of takes your mind off the fact of cramps and, like, why you're doing this. Uh-huh. But then, you know, you're, you're done at 9 a.m. And it's not even 70 degrees yet. So, it's super flat course. It's That's it, what I was getting ready to ask it seemed like it was pretty flat up there. Yeah, Boston was tough because Boston's really, it's like downhill for like the first 14 miles. And then you go all of a sudden uphill, downhill, uphill, downhill for like five miles. And then you finish flat. But Charlevoix is one of those where it's literally just like you're running on like a Midwest road or something for 26 miles. Indianapolis has a, a mini. Yeah, the Indy Mini. They have a full as well? Or? So they they have a full. There's uh, It's the Indianapolis Monumental, and they do that in November. I did that one last year, and that one, for the most part, is pretty flat too. Gotcha. So I just asked you a question a minute ago, and like I said, I think I know the answer to this, but um, who are you listening to? What's keeping you so motivated? Because you're just talking about cramps and you know, just talking about just the – just the fatigue that comes along with it. And I want to talk about that too, but who are you listening mm-hmm. to? My, my main motivational source is right when I wake up and I don't want to do it. The OG, Eric Thomas, who I started out with, and David Goggins, without a doubt. Those two. So David Goggins, 
might be the most, um, man, I don't want to say insane because he's not. He is the most motivated person I've ever listened to. He's unreal. Like, like there's a uh, story, it's off the Rogan podcast where he's talking to Joe about, uh, not David, but the, this other fellow, he's talking to him about um, having David Goggins come to his house and stay with him. Have you heard this? Yeah, it was, uh, oh, yeah, I know which one you're talking about. I don't remember his name, but I know which one you're talking like about. CEO of some company, his wife owns, like, Spanx or something. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. My favorite part was when he would get woke up in the morning at 4.30. He'd come in the bedroom, wake up, man. Right. Uh-huh. I'm trying to keep a PG, right? But yeah, uh, I, I know what you're trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> so what about that? What about uh, what about Goggins gets you excited? Mainly, it's not so much his motivation that gets me. It's his discipline that he talks about mm-hmm. and how he's just gone through. You know, hearing about like his his backstory and his childhood that he went through. You know, he had he could have just laid down. You know, been a victim, been a statistic, whatever. But he chose not to. He chose to make something out of himself. And then, you know, physical setbacks and then, like, other setbacks he faced in the military with some of the, you know, instructors or other guys not liking him too much because he tried to push them more than they wanted to push themselves. So just, like, seeing him fight through adversity, you know, at every step of the way. And then in his newest book, he talks about how he became, like, a part-time savage and then... He's back out there signing up for this new stuff, and he's got no meniscus or, like, everything in his legs torn, and he just he doesn't want to ever rest. That's uh, just thinking about that. I'm, I, I'm recalling the year I spent with Dalton right now in my head and thinking about you were in a um, – Oh, man. Do you remember the name of the class that, that I started teaching in eighth grade? Uh, it was like World History or Social Studies. Yeah, but right before that, it was before uh, Mr. Burkhart quit. Okay. I, w- I was teaching another class, and it was like health and all this stuff online. It, it was Plato. Plato, yeah. Yeah. The name of so, I, I, listeners, Dalton was in one of these classes, and there was another boy. Um, oh, I'm having a moment here. Uh, There's another guy in another one of the classes, or maybe the same class. And these guys were like going head to head in this thing. And I had a little motivator board up and, you know, with the uh, GPA plus completion percentage. Mm-hmm. And they were checking every day. And at the end of the nine weeks, there was going to be a pizza party for whatever class one. You remember this? Yes. And so <laughs> it was head to head every day. Every single day. Going after it. Where are they at? What are they doing? Who's where's where's it was Jackson Bell. Yeah, it was yeah. him and I going after it. Oh man, that was so fun to watch. And I'm just thinking about how motivated you were there for something as simple as that, which may not have seemed simple at the time, mm-hmm. but compared to what's going through your head at mile twenty. Yeah. Um, you know, mile twenty, that's usually that wall that you think you can't push through somewhere between 18 and 20. It doesn't matter how well you prepared. You're going to hit it right there. Usually at that point, it's just, it, it doesn't matter how much you trained. It doesn't matter about really anything that you've done. It's all about how much heart you have and how bad you want it. And usually when I get to this point, it's when I start getting, you know, really like emotional with myself too. It's like, okay, I've executed the game plan up to this point. There's X amount of people 
here at the race supporting me, expecting me to finish at this time. There's X amount of people back home that have taken time out of their day to, you know, wish me good luck or support me or they're following along on an app. Mm -hmm. And it's like at this point, I just start literally saying off every person's name that I can remember that supported me in my head. And then it's like, that's why I'm running right now. They're who I'm running for. They're the reason why I'm running. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to fail. I'm going to do this for them. It's interesting. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, when, when you were in my class, I was right around 300 pounds at the time. Mm-hmm. And the year after that, so in November of 16, I think it was, yeah. I made a decision, okay, I've had enough. You know, it's time to make some changes. And I dropped like 65 pounds between uh, Thanksgiving and the uh, D.C. trip, which is in, in May. Yeah. And what's interesting is you were talking about the people in your head that you're not going to let down mm-hmm. and how you, you you hold yourself that accountability piece to someone else. Yeah. And, and I had similar experience. Obviously, what I went through, I, I put nowhere near that. But um, I would be on – and all I had was an elliptical. Mm-hmm. Right, I broke that elliptical in that six months, but I would think about, I've got to get to so many calories burned. I've got to get to such a time. I've got to, I've got to, I had these goals in my head mm-hmm. and I, I would just, you're just brutalizing yourself to get there. Yeah. And I was doing the same thing. I was like, I'm going to have to go to school tomorrow. And I had my students, I was putting it up on the board, how many calories I'd burnt the night before, what my weight was, yeah. what, what my goals were, what I was eating, how, much, how many calories I was consuming. Like, I was obsessed with it in that moment. And I can remember going into that last piece, you know, that last couple weeks, mm-hmm. and I had, I had said something to Mr. Seahigh. I said, hey, we're going we're gonna to compete against each other until, this is like February, February to, to May, and we're going to see who loses pound for pound, who's going to lose the most weight. And um, he threw out, I don't remember what his number was, like 15 pounds. And I did what you, I just went big. I said 30. Absolutely. I went 30. And he goes, no way. Bet on. Right? And uh-huh. I said, it didn't matter. It wasn't like percentages. It was straight up. We were about the same weight at the time. Uh, I think I was still quite a bit heavier than he was. But um, I just said 30. Mm-hmm. And we're talking from... February, March, April, second week of May, there was like 12 weeks. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe maybe 14. Mm-hmm. It was tight. It was a tight window, and I knew exactly, put a plan together, mm-hmm. and I just started executing. And there's times in there, and this is what I'm getting to, there are times in there where you know you're behind, or you're on time, and you want to make, like, I would I would go a little overboard and I catch myself. Mm-hmm. My calorie count got really low for a couple weeks, and I saw how it negatively affected my body. My body just stopped burning fat. Yeah, uh, and so I had to readjust and come back. Now I'm wondering as you're going through that race, and you're you're at certain points, are you thinking about I could speed up a little bit here or slow down a little bit there? And you know what I mean? Are you yeah. thinking that, or are you just Here's my plan. I'm executing in that discipline piece. Are you holding strong and going uh-huh. trusting the process? So the the reason why I love the marathon is because it'll humble you. A, a mini, thirteen miles or less. I I can 
get to that start line and I can be stupid if I want. I can take off around a 545 mile that first one and I know I can pretty much like taper off into a 620 pace and hold it for the rest of the race. A marathon if I do that on the first mile and you know just be undisciplined, I'm going to be walking the last 10. Okay. So, it's exactly what you're saying um I have that plan in my mind where usually at most races I like to negative split, so I'll start out slower, so then I can let my body adjust to it, adjust to the nutrients I'm putting into it, and I prefer to finish strong at the end instead of that. But there's absolutely times when I go out there like Boston, I finished like my pace was like a 635. Well, that first mile was a 655. And that took everything in me to not just go out when there's fans screaming all over and not just be like, oh, man, I'm going to go out and get first right now. Like, I'm going to win this first mile at the Boston Marathon. People are going to be cheering for me, taking my picture in front of everybody, and I'm going to fall behind the crowd. <laughs> I would love to do that, but it's like at this point, I'm smart enough to know that I, I, I know my body and I can't do that for a yeah. full 26. Man, how many people? how many people were in the Boston? How many... There were 30,000. And out of the 30,000, 27,000 finished it. So there were still 3,000 that at some point. There's a time window, right? Yeah, six uh, hours. Okay. And Or I think maybe six and a half. And I'm sure there's some injury in there. There's, oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of it is probably injury, but mm-hmm. wow. So in your age bracket, because then it was broken down by age bracket yeah. as well, is there like an overall or is there a... Is there a so, pro group? Uh, help me understand. What they ended up doing was instead of like like at most races you go to, you're going to get overall standing and then age group standing. For Boston, it was what I saw on my page was just overall standing. So out of the the thirty thousand that went to compete, I got I think it was like nine thousand something or something, not like nine thousandth place. Out of it, it's top thirty percent. Yeah, uh huh. I mean, even better. I mean, you're in the twenties at that point, right? Yeah. Wait, no, it was um, it was it was uh, it was like top nine percent. So I think I was out of the twenty seven thousand people that finished. I think I was like twenty seven hundred. Wow. So I was towards that front, that top ten percent, because I remember it now. Did you expect that? No, not at all. I, I mean, I beat my PR by five and a half minutes at yeah. that course. It was my plan was to run a sub two fifty five, which would have been a three minute PR, and I get to the halfway mark and I was on pace for a two fifty four, and I thought it's just unreal with all the people they have lined for the entire course. It was plus all the people back home, you know, I had like two or three hundred messages on in comments on Facebook that I was making sure to you know reply to every single one the night before <laughs> the morning of because I really appreciate that kind of stuff, yeah, and you know absolutely. someone takes time for me. I'm going to take time for them. And, you know, things started getting rough around Heartbreak Hill at, like, mile 18. But it was just, you know, well, I'm going to go out. I'm going to do this for them. And then I get to, like, the final point, too. And I'm like, man, I'm way ahead of schedule right now. So what do you do there? Do you just kind of stay the course? or Yeah. It was really at that halfway mark. I was ahead of schedule. And that was the decision I made. I'm feeling great. I don't have any cramps. I'm not, like, hurting anywhere. Let's just keep up this pace and, and ride it out, see how it goes. Hmm. And, and it worked out. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it really catches up back to you. And when you feel that cramp coming on, like the pulsing in your hamstrings, you really got to listen to it sometimes and taper off a little bit. And that's what I think like mile 24, I dipped back down to like a 657 out of nowhere. 
people were asking me about it, but it's because I felt that pulsing coming. So I had to like taper off for a mile. So then I could speed back up on the last two. Okay. I got you. So thinking about, um, just the nutrition piece of it has to come in to play. Uh, yeah. Uh, listen, I get it. You're, you're still what? 20, 21. Yeah. 21. <laughs> you're able to, to eat and function. You know, I, I can remember being able to chug a, mount, a two liter of Mountain Dew and you know, everything was fine. Are you yeah. kidding me? I'm perfect. Let's go play basketball all day. You know, I do that now and I'm barfing and you know, it's, yeah. it's a mess and I gained 75 pounds. It's uh-huh. crazy. But so nutrition wise, same discipline there. Ab- just... Yeah, absolutely. I've got it really the, the first marathon I did nothing besides a carb load. I just thought, you know, runners are supposed to carb load. So like the five days before I was like eating like olive garden pasta every single night. I had no idea the difference between like complex simple carbs what you should fuel with um that first race i didn't realize how important in race nutrition was i thought you just showed up drank some gatorade before and ran the race (laughs) and so i ran this first marathon with no like no liquids no fuel for the middle of it and that definitely impacted my performance and then over time now i've really got it nailed down to okay week of a race uh if it's on like a saturday I start the carb load on Tuesday. I'm eating this many carbs, this many grams of fat, this many grams of protein from these different sources Tuesday through Saturday. And then the race, you know, I kind of wear, you can't see it underneath like my stringers, but I wear like this little like kind of like a spandex like bell underneath. And that holds like my little goo gels and stuff in there. Okay. And then I know every, based on the, the different race courses, if they have Gatorade every two miles or mile and a half you know i'm getting gatorade at this stop i'm getting water at this one stuff like that that i've really got nailed down to at this point it's interesting um i, I was curious about that to see because you know obviously you're right that whole, you watch it on tv the whole thing is just packed with people yeah. everywhere and you see people running by and water going over so thinking about that there was a picture of you uh, and i'm not sure who posted it online uh, but there was a picture of you, and there was a guy running next to you. And just curious, it made me think, did he find somebody to p- help pace with, or was it just all in your head, or did you have a pace partner? So Yeah, so when I ran Charlevoix last year, I was lucky enough that they had um, pacers up to the sub-three-hour mark. And I would not have got I, – I know the guy that helped pace me for it. He's a great guy. He's going to be there again this year. He was at the Monumental when I did it, doing the same thing. He was, he looks out for you every step of the way. He's like, hey, we're doing this. And then when you get to that point right at like 13 to 14 when that runner's high kicks in and you want to speed up 20 seconds, he's like that little like voice on your shoulder like, hey, you know, your goal is to come here and run sub three, not a sub 256, you know. Right. You could go get that sub 256 or you could fall off and get a 314 or you could just stick with the pack and get that sub three that you wanted. So I got lucky enough to have a pacer there, but then all the rest of the races I've done, I've gotten to the point where, okay, you know, I've got my watch dialed in. I kind of, sometimes I carry this little like laminated card. It's like two by three inches and, you know, it has like the, the different paces next to it. So I know like, okay, well, if I'm at like seven miles, I'm at like a 642 pace, I can look at that and it'll show me, you know, what my end time mm-hmm. would be if I stick there. 
interesting. In, in my head, I'm seeing it on your wrist. Yeah. Almost like when you're up on the mound pitching. And uh-huh. you get that pitch call, and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that that's kind of what it's like. It's like yeah. every mile, I don't look at my watch at all, but every mile, my watch will vibrate, and it'll pop up with that mile time. So then I can look at that, and then I can, like, scroll down on it, and it'll show me the average that I'm at for that, for oh, the nice. miles so far. Okay. So then I can look at that paper and be like, Am I on schedule? Am I behind? Yeah. How am I feeling? You know, okay, maybe I can step it up here these next couple miles. Because, you know, maybe there's a hill coming up on 12, so I want to get ahead of this thing a little bit. If, if I do that when I'm on the treadmill, I, I typically fall off. Just so you know, like my feet start kicking the wall. Yeah. <laughs> tread, tread, for anybody that has tried treadmill running, even advanced runners, it does not matter how skilled you are. One last in judgment, and you are off that thing. It's over. There's marks all over my wall yeah. in there. And, and I think they're probably just for me. Jennifer would never tell me if she did it or not. Yeah. <laughs> She'd be like, I never did that. It's you. you know, I'm kidding. Listen, if, if my wife ever listens to these, I'm going to be in so much trouble because, like, I blame everything on her. You oh, know? absolutely. The reason the house is clean today is because she said, you have company come and clean the house. That's not true, but, you know, <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking at our time. We are at a half hour, and I don't know what your time frame is. I'm, I'm good to keep rolling if you are. I'm happy to keep rolling. I'm loving this. So I, I was, as you're talking, I rode, uh, my goal is ride a 50-mile uh, bike ride this, this summer, um, and my wife's is as well. And what's interesting is she wasn't a biker. Okay. She, like when she was growing up she grew up out in the country and um she was allowed to ride her bike down the road about 200 yards to her grandma's house that was her biking experience okay me man i had a bmx i lived in town i would ride that thing dude i ran uh, i rode that thing with friends over to montpelier multiple times you know mm-hmm. throughout the middle of the country pedaling on a 20 inch bike but you don't even feel it yeah you know, I'm 15 years old I think I could have rode to Timbuktu and back and been like, what's the problem? Yeah. You know? But so now we rode a 20 last weekend uh, and I was really excited for her because that was, she was the one that kept pushing it. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited that she's excited about biking because I've, I've really enjoyed biking for a long time. Um, but I'm wanting to ride a 50 this year. And to do that, you've got to, like, I, I got to know that I've got some food and everything else. So I know that my calorie count will get low in that ride if I haven't, you know, prepared for it. Yeah. Uh, I've done a 30 before, a 35. And in that 35, my problem was, and that's why I keep asking you about the time mm-hmm. part, I keep competing with myself in oh, my yeah. head. And, oh, and I don't have a time. Like, it's not like I'm pressed for time when I'm doing this. I know I've set aside a few hours to go do it. But I still get in my own head. And I'm like, oh, I could get, I've only got five miles left i could do as you know 19 mile you know per for the next five miles and kill myself and (laughs) Mm -hmm. by the time i'm done i'm wiped out and i don't even want to finish yeah and so i don't know if in running they call them a kit as well like a shirt and shorts you know just what you're wearing yeah biking's called a kit Mm -hmm. and um on the back of one of my kits well on a couple of the shirts i have there's like some pockets. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a, you know, your, uh, they call it the, the belly bag or what, what's it called? Fanny the pack. Fanny yeah. pack. It's almost like a fanny pack built in. A belly pack. <laughs> a belly, a belly pack. <laughs> All right. 
I just created something new. Whoever whoever puts out the belly bag, you owe me. That's right. But uh, it's got the little pockets in the back, so I'll put some granola bar in there, and you know maybe maybe an apple or something. Mm-hmm. I'll head out, and I've got something that I can I can either munch on or you know if I stop and take a break, which when it's just me, I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd rather just get it over with and be done. Um, but is that so? Like you were talking about the what were they the so they're, they're these little uh, goo gels, and it's, it's just spelled G-U, and those are usually what I take during a race. They're, um, like, texture-wise, comparable to, like, those, Is it, like, you know, like the kid's applesauce, like, comes in the bag, and you pop the top. Yeah. So. Almost like a, a, cold, a, a toothpaste. Yeah, literally, like, like, toothpaste, but, like, the way I do it is, and, and, you know, the flavors are, I'm not a guy that, like, eats a sugary drinks sugary mm-hmm. foods so i don't mind the taste a lot of people aren't you know they hate it whatever but you know usually i'll pop it like when i know i'm a quarter mile away from like the water break so you just pop it and then you know you just put it in like you can put your teeth on it and like slide the the gel in your mouth and then you know you just swallow it and then if it's sticky or you don't like the taste well hey you know you're coming up on a water station or if you're on your bike you know you just take a, a drink of gatorade water wash it down and then each one of those things has like 20 17 or 20 grams of carbs so much like you can get them with or without caffeine they've got electrolytes amino acids everything everything to keep you going throughout a race and i'm i'm usually consuming in a marathon i take one like five minutes before it starts and after that i'm taking one usually every four four miles so i'm consuming between seven to eight of those throughout a marathon Interesting. So, um, you got a marathon coming up. Yes. When is it? June seventeenth. And where is, is it? Charlevoix. Charlevoix. Yeah. Uh, so that you're kind of full circle back to that one. Going back. Yes, sir. Uh, what was your time? Last year it was two fifty eight forty nine. Okay. This year, kind of the same thing. I went up there last year with something to prove. This year, um, to get to qualify for the New York City Marathon, you got to run a two fifty three or faster. So Boston, I missed that by 14 seconds. So I'm going up. But, you know, it wasn't really a goal right. until I finished. And then, of course, in my head, I'm not, like, celebrating. Five-minute PR, I'm like, man, I was 15 seconds What's short. Next? I couldn't have picked that up. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going up there to run a sub, 253. What You know, I've got confidence. I just finished uh, week five of my training block this morning. So we're just going to go into a taper now. I feel like I've got the speed and endurance built up for it and – going to go up there with something else to prove and you got a great team your folks are i know are behind you all the way girlfriends behind you all the way yep yeah she's there at every single one of my races and that's awesome that, that's a huge piece right there it's got to be just kind of having having that support team yeah it, it is you know and obviously like my immediate family is always there for me every single day but then you know staying here in hartford like i chose to do seeing how much support i get from a small town community where I know a lot of people. My parents know a lot of people. I met a lot of people. And, you know, I might only see them like once a month, once every few months. But, you know, I'll see them and I'll ask them how they're doing. They're like, hey, you're doing great with the marathon training. Keep it up. There's there's no real negativity, mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's just when you have a team around you that supports you, you, you can never truly fail when you have that. Yeah, it's huge. And I can tell you somebody who, um, who grew up here and – had had a lot of I had a lot of high hopes a lot of people behind me early on and I screwed it all up trust me uh, I made every stupid mistake you could possibly make on on my way to 21 
uh, and on through a little bit longer. Um, but now coming back, you know, and, and when I completed my teaching degree and started turning some things around and um, going that direction, coaching and, and getting my master's and so on and so forth, and then moving back, that support of the local community and the people that I had created relationships with early on are still a driving force for me, even today. Yeah. I mean, this this whole podcast is a lot about that. It's a lot. It's a lot about me just giving thanks uh, to all those I can't personally go out and say thank you to. So a lot of times in my head, as we're talking, I'm getting chills right now just thinking about yeah the people that that were there for me. Um, that did believe in me, and I let down at some point. Um, and, you know, hopefully they've seen I've picked up the pieces, and I want them to know, boy, you've been a big part of, of me turning it around. And uh, and I always give uh, tons of credit to my wife as well. She, without her, uh, and, and without God, of course, but, but without my wife, mm-hmm. I truly don't believe I'd be alive. Yeah. Um, and then with all that other community piece, it's so huge, and it is a big component of it. I don't. I've never lived, never lived in a big city, so I don't know what that feels like. You know, if you get that same thing from the smaller community within a big town, uh, but definitely here, people are watching. Yeah, people are watching. They're listening, and and they do want you to do well. And we are excited for you. And we're all watching you still. We're going all right, man. What's next? What's next? Yeah. Right? But like, like what you were talking about. So I didn't know. You, you know, the, the Scott Schick that you talked about that made mistakes here and there. I remember the Scott Schick that was started out as a substitute teacher for me in elementary school. Sure. And then I get to junior high. You're my Play-Doh teacher. And then you're my social studies teacher. And, you know, I would – I maybe not would have not have found Eric Thomas if it wasn't for you with Motivational Mondays. Man. So that brought us together. And then at that time, you know, uh, athletically-wise, the high school was struggling – morale around you know it really athletics and anything at the high school was just at an all-time low and you talking with me and the other kids in my class about you know we this is what blackford used to be like let's bring this morale back and you really showed us how to believe not only in blackford but believe in ourselves and then you know all of a sudden we did that the community rallied around us and we had a few phenomenal years there where everything was great. You really did, too. And, and what's funny is I, I, I told Dalton before we started, I've got some notes here. And we just talked about uh, a couple other things. Oh, I don't have touch screen on this. <laughs> but we're, we just said, uh, like, one of my last notes was, who are you listening to? We talked about Eric. We talked about Goggins. And um, I'm skipping over one because I've got one more I want to get to. Okay. But... Uh, I've got a little note here. It said, if there is time, I want to go back a bit, and I'm reading verbatim mm-hmm. from what I wrote down a few hours ago. I want to go back a bit and talk about your senior year of high school. And, man, Dalton just brought the whole segue in for me. I didn't even have to introduce it, but I felt like I had to say that. Uh-huh. We're, we're kind of hitting here. But, um, you know, you're talking about high school and talking about the uh, successes you guys had, and you did come in at a time when nobody was winning. Mm-hmm. No one and no sports. It was it was a it was a really dark spot uh, across the table, and I uh, felt like you guys had a fairly large group. Uh, your class was fairly large anyway. Yeah. Um, compared to what was in front and behind you, and you had a large number of kids that were involved in in athletics, in both boys and girls. Yeah. <clears throat> so, 
thinking back about that, you know, you touched on the motivation piece, and you know, just I think Randy Cehi being being uh, at the junior high there. I think he came in the year after you. He, he was uh he came in and like the took spring. over like March. Yeah, the spring yeah, yeah. spring of my eighth grade year. So I think just that touch point of seeing you guys for that little bit of time gave you a little bit of familiarity with okay, this guy he, he ain't playing. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then to see the the man the way you guys evolved in the weight room over the next few years just phenomenal. I mean, uh, like. You saw it much close, much more close than I did, but just watching you young people, um, your your whole being evolve over that span of time, your mental state evolve. You know, taking your hits early on as freshmen and sophomores, and then starting mm-hmm. to see some real stuff happening as juniors and seniors. Um, I had to feel good. It felt amazing, and you know, at that time. With CI coming in, before that, it just kind of felt like when I wouldn't, when I would go work out with the high school weight room, you know, I mean, this isn't a shot at any of the coaches yeah, or anything, yeah. but you know, you go in there, it's like summer workouts or whatever, and it was just kind of everybody, you know, if you showed up, great. If you didn't, you know, nobody expected you to anyway, and you just kind of go in, ego lift, do whatever you want. You can do a whole workout of curls if you want, but there was never like sports specific training. You know, conditioning was maybe go out to the track, stretch a little bit, do a few sprints. That was it. And then having Cihai come in, and all of a sudden it was him walking in there. You showed up for weight training at 7 a.m. If you weren't there by 6.55, you were late, so you knew to show up because he would write the workout down on the whiteboard, and you were expected to study that whiteboard and see what you were going to do, head out to the aux gym, go through the stretching, the dynamic warm-up, and then for the next 45 minutes it was – you know, circuit training, explosive movements, all this stuff, and just people taking it seriously. And then through that, obviously, competition comes out in each other. And then just learning mainly that these guys around you are going to be your brothers all season long and just supporting one another instead of being from, oh, well, this guy's, you know, being a tryhard in the weight room because he wants to impress coach to now all of a sudden, hey, you know, if we want to win, we need to support each other. And this isn't about any one person. This is about us as a whole. And if one guy skips, you know, we all suffer because of it. Mm-hmm. So it was, a whole, it was a whole mindset shift, a culture shift. Yeah, it was. It started with him. And then, you know, we had him my freshman year for football. And then, you know, that momentum just continued to build. And then really the big change was before my sophomore year when Jerry Hoover came in too. That was, you know, unbelievable because, you know, basketball – one in 62 or something like that over the last three years coach hoover comes in and you know all we know is he's 81 year old he was in the military he's turned seven or eight other programs around and he means business and it wasn't like he came in for like a coach's meeting and he tried to impress any parents at all he came in talked to us and he was like all right because this time the high school was getting work done in the Mm -hmm. summer like the pipes change or something so all we had for the summer was the junior high gym and, you know, we met on, like, a Saturday, and he handed out the schedule, and it was for two-a-day workout starting at 6 a.m. on Monday. And, you know, like, this is, like, the first week of June. And, like, we already got, like, football. We got, like, football workouts at, like, 7, and he's want us to come in for shooting at 6 a.m. to 6.45. And then if you play football, you got to go to football workouts 7 to 8.30 and then come back to the junior high 9 to 
to 10 or 10.30 to work on fundamentals and, like, team offense type stuff. So it was just, like, all of a sudden, you know, what looked as and, like, what felt like a drag and, like, work at first, slowly, once we bought into it, realized, okay, this isn't work. This is just what we need to do to win. And this is really what it takes to win. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it helped weed out people that didn't want to be a part of it and the people that did want to be a part of it. I always think about the the people that leave something like that. I had a discussion with with a band teacher one time, mm-hmm. and I said sometimes it's it's addition by subtraction, and it it really is because you know you lose whatever there. Typically, a person like that on the team is pulling it down or holding it back in some way or another, and they know they have that power. And they know that, you know, at some point or they're friends with somebody and, you know, they're always like kind of like threatening to leave the team and this is going to happen if I leave and they leave and it's kind of like, you know, dramatic at first. Everybody's kind of like, what's going to happen? But then you have like that next practice without them and, you know, that negative voice, that negative entity is Mm -hmm. gone. And all of a sudden you're not thinking about what you lost. You're focusing on what you just gained. Everything's more positive. Everything's more free flowing. And then it's really like, we're better off because of that now. Just sitting here, my brain is, is going bananas as, as you were telling that. Let me tell you, man, it's it's no different in life. Yeah. And I'm sure you've experienced a little bit of that. You know, as, as your friends graduate, get older, start moving on, you guys all start going different directions. And you find out some of your friends that you were close with at one time, all of a sudden you're not anymore because of interest change or, you know, positive life negative life you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. just as you were talking through that i thought that was what a great lesson that you were able to learn and i'm sure it it didn't hit you at the time but as you move through life you'll see that that negative person in your life once they're gone boy you're gonna miss them for about you know for a, a minute but all of a sudden you realize oh my god Oh, this isn't so bad at all. <laughs> I know, and, and and you know it's it's kind of hypocritical for me to sit here and say that because you know I'm just 21, and sure. for me to say like, oh well, that's already happened. But you know, especially for me, like I sit here and tell you that you know I'm always busy and whatnot with with everything I have going on. But you know, there's mainly you know my parents because I still live at home because I'm going to school. I see them. I see my girlfriend on a daily basis, and then there's really only you know, two or three of my friends that I keep in contact with on a daily basis. And, you know, one of them's from, not even from Hartford originally. So there's a lot of guys because of lifestyle change, personal choices, Mm -hmm. whatnot. You know, I'm still their friend. I still got their, you know, they need something. I'm still happy to go help them. But it's like for personal choices that don't align with what I'm trying to do, I can't, you know, see them on a regular basis and fall into that kind of stuff. It'll continue happening. You know what I mean? People will come in and out of your life, and, and some, will, some will be struggling with some things. But I appreciate that you said, hey, we're still friends, um, because that's important. It is important to still continue to keep that to keep that relationship. They may just be going through something at the time. You, you really don't know what's going on with people. You, uh, I, I think as I've gotten older, you know, it's easy, it's very easy to, to look at someone's life and where they're at, oh, man, it's all about their decisions and they, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
and and it is. I, I don't I don't allow people to just opt out. You know what I mean? Yeah. People don't just opt out, but um, there are circumstances that really do grab you and do hold you. Um, sometimes, if you allow them to, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. I think some people just allow them to do that. I think there are others who just can't, like they can't get a break. Yeah. And and I've had quite a few friends in my life where I've had some that have one, the other, and some even with both, where they just can't get out of their own way. And it's like, God, man, when when does this guy get a break? Yeah. And, and the hits just keep coming and coming and coming. Great people. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily even negative people. Yeah. But boy, I, I think those those lessons that, you know, you got to see and learn. And what I, I, I said this at one time, and I'll say it again. Uh, I felt like that that group of three coaches, three core coaches uh, for the, for the the big men's sports at, at the high school at that time with with C High Hoover and and Ugin, all three of them Hall of Famers at one hundred percent. I I don't know that, and and I don't know all the other stories out there, right? Mm-hmm. But if you look at uh, we were three A at the time, yeah, uh, and then. By the time you were a senior, we were two way at yeah. that time. So, if you looked at any two way program across the state, I don't know that you had a better core of coaches anywhere out there. No, there, there's no chance. And every single one of those coaches, they wanted to win games, but they told you up front at every practice of the year, if they didn't create great young men then they failed. Right. And I respect, I I remember hearing that, you know, as a freshman, sophomore, whatever coach, I'm here to win games. But then, you know, you get, you get your driver's license, right? You're 16, 17, you have a job, you start getting responsibilities. And it's like, I don't know if the other guys felt that way, but then me as a junior and my junior and senior year, I started to respect that even more. And then now being 21, going into my last year of college and seeing what happened to some of my friends that were on those teams. And it kind of hits me hard of, okay, well, you know, if I want to get into coaching one day, I don't want to do it because I just want to win games. Mm-hmm. I want to do it to really help young people become the best versions of themselves and, sure. and, and help show them the way in some way or another. Hmm. We're, we're getting close. I've, I have a self-imposed hour. Oh, one hour. Well, yeah. man, I was hoping this is going to be like the Rogan podcast. Uh, sit here for three hours oh, and 19 man. minutes. How does he do it? Like, I, But here's the thing. Like, I can sit and listen to it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Me too. You just and it's like autopilot. When I see the ones that come up, like I, I, I'll search them out. You know, as I'm getting ready to leave the parking lot from school or whatever, and I'm like, okay, I need something to listen to, and and I'll find something. I was listening to uh, C. T. Fletcher the other day. Have you listened to that guy? Holy Love crap! C. T. Fletcher. Oh God! Just talking about all the heart attacks uh-huh. and the pacemaker and the heart. Good Lord! But um, so I've heard a rumor. And knowing you're a David Goggins fan, um, I, I can't help but believe there might be a little bit of truth to it. Uh-huh. So I got to ask, is there a 100-miler coming? <laughs> Absolutely. It's going to be sometime this fall. So <laughs> I've uh, I've been trying to keep that one quiet because I don't know which one I'm going to do yet. Uh-huh. So the way my – I've got Charlevoix in June. I prefer to do, you know, one, one race a month. Mm-hmm. That's how I like to do it. So Charlevoix in June. July, August, and September, I'm all I'm gonna do a mini in each of those months. Really working on speed. October, I'm running the Chicago Marathon. After October, I've got nothing in November and December. 
So that 100-mile race is going to be either in November and December. It's just a question of which ones are going to be and how much am I going to have to pay for a plane ticket to get there <laughs> and how much everything is going to cost. Uh, I, 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 when I heard it, I said, I, I know it's true. Oh, yeah. It's, I it had to be. it's one of those things where I, I love the racing aspect of the mini marathons and the full marathons. But I want, I, I want that all to like I, I twenty six point two miles doesn't scare me, a hundred miles, it it'll put it, it gets my hair sticking up, it gives me goosebumps, you know, just thinking about starting at six a.m. and all of a sudden, you know, you're you start at six a.m. you're out there at two p.m. you're not even halfway done yet at two p.m. and then you know all of a sudden it's getting a little bit cool in the evening <laughs> when like you like sit around the fire, but you're at mile sixty one instead, Gosh. and you've got thirty nine more miles to go. You want to give up. Your foot's bleeding, whatever. You know, your socks are wet because you just went through a pond or something. That's I like what. It. I, yeah, it scares me. I'm probably going to do it. Okay. Well, we're going to talk again. I, I want to talk maybe a little bit before or maybe after. Absolutely. Whenever you want to have me back on, I would I would be I like honored. Got man. man, thanks for coming on. Appreciate you and, and uh, love following you. And, uh, man, I wish you nothing but the best, brother. Just keep on keeping on and, and keep pushing the limits. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. All right, man. We're out. People, don't forget to get on the Face Place, Facebooks, and the Instas, and the Twitters, and email me. It's the real Mr. Schick at Gmail and Instagram and Twitter. And, uh, yeah, follow me. What all that stuff? I really don't have a clue what I'm talking about when it comes to that. But, yeah, it sounds good on, on here. See ya.